Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Hey, uh, just before we get on with our Mother's Day, obviously we just love you moms, but I just want to address a couple things right before. Um, number one, this I know this is going to be a difficult day for some of you, and so uh, for a couple different reasons. Number one, maybe your mom isn't here. So it's your first Mother's Day alone, or maybe it's been a few, and, and you're just really feeling that, that void. I just want to let you know, man, God not only comes in and fills all voids, but take this time to remember what your mom did for you and, and that legacy that, that is always something good to do. And, and, and I know it can be sad, but if, if it's sad, that means your mom did a really, really good job. And so there's something to celebrate there. Number two, maybe your mom left you when you were younger, or maybe you just don't have a great relationship and it's really weird for someone to say, hey, celebrate this, celebrate this. And can I encourage you? Um, God always fills voids, not only with his spirit, but also most of the time with, with different ladies and mother figures that come into our lives. So make sure you celebrate them. Make sure, make sure that, that we don't focus on just what's been gone, but what God has given us. And the third is some of you have really wanted to become moms. And this just hasn't happened yet. And every Mother's Day, it's another reminder. I wanna give you this, this truth. Being a mom is great. It can be something that God um, gives to you and he, and he says, hey, do this you know, well as, as a woman of God. But, but just because you're not a mom does not mean you are not valued in the kingdom, ladies, okay? You are a daughter of the king and not being a mom right now does not devalue who you are in the kingdom. And so make sure you don't devalue yourself in that same way. Hold on to what God says about you, amen? All right, now I have some wonderful motherly figures in my life, all right? I'm gonna talk first about my mother-in-law, Janice, all right? Now, they're my, my family, my wife's family is Hispanic, and so she's not my mother-in-law, she's my suegra, all right? So we all, everybody has one, right? And I love my mother-in-law. Honestly, my mother-in-law is amazing. I love hanging out with my mother-in-law. She's really funny. She is the most caring person. She cares for her family so much. She's, she's the person that, that serves uh, my father-in-law so well. Like, I have never seen, like, in a Hispanic household, I'm sure maybe you have, but I never seen where my father-in-law would sit down and then he wouldn't have a drink and he'd go, mija, drink. And it, and it would be there. And I thought that was amazing. Um, I tried it, it didn't work. Uh, but she honestly, she cares for her family. She watches our girls whenever we need her to. She is awesome. She's also the cleanest person I know by far, okay? I'm a germaphobe. I don't, I don't love like when things, you know, touch other things. And if I shake your hand, don't ever feel offended. If I shake your hand, give you a hug. And then you see me jet back and do this. Um, but I will eat off my, my mother-in-law's floor. That is how clean that floor is. I don't even know. She cleans every day. And my father-in-law is barely in the house. He's always traveling for work and she still cleans every day. I don't even know what she's cleaning. It's only her and she's clean. So I don't get it. Um, she's also the most honest person I know. Um, when I was thinking about uh, cutting my hair down to this length, I would ask the other members of my family and say, what do you think I should do? Should I shave my head? And they'd be like, oh no, Charlie, you have hair. It's fine. And, and then I asked Janice, I said, what do you think I should do, Janice? And she said, and I'll quote this. She said, if I was you, I'd already cut it. And so... So she's very honest and I love that she's honest with me. She's the only person. Um, it hurts sometimes, but it feels great others. And then I have, so that's my mother-in-law. 
And then I have my own mom, and my mom is awesome. She's probably the most sympathetic person I know. She has so much compassion. If she, she used to work at Lowe's, she would meet people in the Lowe's aisles, and they would tell her a story, and then she would cry with them. She didn't even know them. She would cry with them. She'd call me, Charlie, we need to do something. And I'm like, I don't even know. Who are you talking about? She's like, I know, but I went to the school, and I just made sure, like, she is that person. She is so compassionate, so sympathetic. But I'm just going to be honest with you. My mom is also, like, I'll call it country girl. Like, I don't know if you've ever met like a country mom, but like, this is also my mom. So she is that side, super sympathetic, super empathetic, will cry with you. But my mom also carried a wooden spoon in her purse. Did anybody else's mom? Yeah, right? Yeah, before it was illegal, but now it's fine. Uh, and it would stick out like that. And it was, and, and my mom, she's short. She's like five foot nothing. And, uh, and but she has like little tiny arms but she did like a miracle i had never seen this happen since in any other mother but she could be driving the van right and we always had a van because there's four kids and friends and we always had a van and uh and we'd be driving the van and you know we're angels my brothers and sisters when we were kids but every once in a while you know just started fighting a little bit and we'd be fighting and we'd be arguing and it's like nobody in my family is quiet. There's not like a quiet person. You know how all of your families have quiet people? God forgot that in my family. Everybody is loud. Um, and so we're yelling and screaming at each other. And my mom could be driving, could grab that wooden spoon with her short arm and smack each and every one of us in, while driving. It was amazing, okay? My shins have calluses on them because of how many times I got smacked, all right? But that's my mom. She's awesome. She's amazing. And, and you know, but she'll hit you. Don't worry. Um, and then I have my wife and my wife is honestly, she is so sweet. She, she even has like, so she'll have like this nice high pitched, beautiful voice when she meets you. She's so nice. Like she's, she cares for our daughters. She always, she always like makes sure they have everything they need. She's like an over, uh, I call it an overpacker. I don't know if you guys would probably call it she does well, but I call it this overpacker where my, my wife doesn't matter if we're going to Disneyland on a trip or to the park. Like we have snacks, we have water bottles, we have jackets, it'd be 80 degrees. We'll have jackets, we'll have a blanket, we'll have like everything you would need, my wife has. She, and every time I'm like, this is too much, babe, this is too much, guess what happens? We need it, man. I'm just like, all right, well, I guess we needed that. Uh, also, and I didn't say this in first service, but I'll say it here, my wife is also a little ghetto. I just need to let everybody know that. <laughs> Like, I don't want, you're going to meet her and she's going to be nice and, and she'll be, but my wife is from Fontana. She went to Getawanda High School. Okay. So she, she, I'm telling you, you're, no one's going to believe me, but I'm telling you, man, she can, she can throw down. Okay. So just don't mess with her. Um, but anyways, those are the, the, the people in my life, the mothers in my life that I'm so thankful for. And I want to take time just to pray for you moms uh, today. Is that all right? Can you bow your heads? We're going to pray for our mom. If your mom is sitting next to you, if you want to uh, put your hand on, on her shoulder and just pray this, Father, we just want to bless moms right now. I want to bless our moms, God, all that they do, God, that we celebrate them, not just because they're moms, because God, they are great mentors to our sons and daughters about what being a woman of God looks like. And so God, we thank you for that. We pray you'd give them blessing and wisdom and patience as they continue to become and be mothers to those who are within their family. In your name we pray, amen. 
All right, now, today's message is going to have to deal with moms, but honestly, it's not just for moms, it's for everyone in the church. And so I really like you guys, don't tune out just because you think this is the Mother's Day message. This is something for every single one of us. In fact, we're hopping back into our Acts series. And if you haven't been with us for the last couple weeks, um, we've actually been walking through the book of Acts. And Acts is the book that Luke writes, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts. So he wrote the Gospel of Luke as the first half, and then he wrote the book of Acts as the second. And Acts stands for Acts of the Apostles, or Actions of the Apostles. So he's documenting how the church began through the apostles. And so at the very beginning, it kind of starts with the Holy Spirit coming down and how the church began. And now we're in the section where now Luke is solely focused on this man named Paul. And Paul was this missionary that honestly brought the gospel to all the places in the world and, and ministered and planted churches. And he was in this like amazing, amazing evangelist that went out. He used to be the killer of Christians when his name was Saul, but he got saved and now he became Paul. So in the section we're going to read today, it's going to be Acts 21. And now it's Paul taking a break from his missionary journey and he's going to be heading back to Jerusalem. So he's going back to his own people. He's been out ministering and evangelizing to people that were not his people. They call them the Gentiles. So he has all these friends from different cultures and different races and who he saved from different religions. But now he's going back to his roots, to Jerusalem, to speak to his people, the Jewish people. And he's very nervous about this because he knows what's been being said about him. And he's very nervous about going back to the city of Jerusalem because he has sort of an understanding through the grapevine about what may happen to him, all right? So we're in Acts chapter 21. They've already taken this missionary, this, this journey from where they were, and they've landed in a city called Caesarea. Now in Caesarea, they're staying at the man named Philip's house. Now, Philip is a funny guy with Paul because Philip and Paul were at the same exact major biblical event together at the stoning of Stephen. But they took two very different routes where Paul, who was then Saul, went out, saw the stoning of Stephen, and he, and he said, that is good, and he admired it, and he condoned it, where he went there and he went out and captured a lot of Christians Philip saw the stoning of Stephen and began to say, you know what? If that man was willing to lay down his life, so am I. And he began to evangelize for Christians. And now all these years later, Saul has turned to Paul. He's gotten saved. And what used to be enemies now are friends. And Paul has now come and he's staying at Philip's house. And this is what happens. Acts chapter 21, verse 10. They were staying at the house, Paul and his companions, and says this, as they were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says, and the way the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, just so you guys know, this is very a very popular, very normal thing for a prophet to do, to not only speak the words of God, but to use like physical illustrations. So he takes Paul's belt, he binds his own hands and feet and then tells Paul that, hey, the Holy Spirit told me that if you go to Jerusalem, that your hands are gonna be bound like this and you're gonna be handed over to the Gentiles. Did you read anywhere where it says the Holy Spirit told Paul not to go? No, right? Nowhere in that verse it says, the Holy Spirit tells Paul, do not go there. He just says, hey, when you go there, this is what's going to happen. But the people, they heard, they heard about this suffering, and so this is what they began to do. Verse 12, when they heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. 
Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For am I not ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus? And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking the will of the Lord be done. Now, why? Why does that happen? Why is Paul in this room knowing this, this is coming? He knows that, hey, suffering is about to enter into my life. This, I have felt it. I have felt that's what's going to happen. I've already been thinking, man, this, this might happen to me when I get there. Not only does he feel it, not only does he know it, then he is told it by a prophet. And now his friends and the companions are now crying and they're begging him, don't go. Why does Paul keep going? Because Paul knows a truth that these, that the people staying in the house have not grasped onto yet. Paul knows a foundational theological truth that the rest of them catch on at the very end when they say, and we pray that the Lord's will be done. He knew this, that emotions can't dictate God's will. They're not allowed to. Now, every once in a while, your emotions and God's will will go hand in hand and you'll feel great about what you're doing. You'll feel awesome. You'll feel like, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm doing exactly what God's called me to do and I feel great about it. Sometimes that will happen, but there are times where your emotions can get in the way of doing what God has asked you to do. Moms know this. Moms, do you remember trying to feed a four-year-old? And their emotions were getting in the way. Remember that? They were crying over the meal that they loved last night. Do you remember? They're having a mental, emotional breakdown because they don't want to eat carrots even though carrots was just their favorite food yesterday. And you're not trying to feed them bad food. You're trying to give them something that is good for them. You're trying to nourish them. But their emotions have gotten in the way of seeing that. That can happen to me and you where our emotions can get in the way of God's will for our life. And his will is that the gospel be proclaimed. And sometimes that's going to require you suffering. Now, in your mind, you're like, well, that doesn't, like, God loves me. Why would he want me to suffer? Why does God want me to struggle sometimes with fear and anger, maybe, or even, or even worry? Well, God doesn't want you to, to, to do any of those things. He's not saying, hey, get stressed out because that's God. But he's saying, what are you worried about? Are you worried about what's going on, that what might happen to you? I need you not to worry about that. I need you to trust in my will after that. You're worried too much about the situation that's standing right in front of you because it might involve suffering. But in your mind, you're saying, well, that can't be what God wants me to do. He must want me to go around this so I can get to his will because I really want his will. It's like this. I love uh, tortas, okay? My mother-in-law, she loves me so much. When, she, when I was coming to her house for the first time, she made me, she made me tortas. And, uh, and, and I get so nervous sometimes, guys. I don't eat. And so she thought it might have been her cooking, which, you know, it could have been. But I have no idea. But I love tortas. I'm definitely getting in trouble. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, and when I go to a restaurant, I always order one. Now, something I hate are onions. Amen to anybody? Yes, such a divided crowd. Perfect. I hate onions. Now, you deep fry onions in batter. I love onions, right? Onion rings are amazing. But raw onion is disgusting, okay? That's from the fall. I honestly believe it. Um, and, and, uh, and I, so I learned very early on in dating Amy and learning to love Mexican food, how to say onions in Spanish, ceboya, all right? I say it like a white person, don't worry about it, but ceboya, okay? And I would show up to these Mexican restaurants and I would say, carne asada torta, no ceboya, okay? All the time. Well, not all the time. 
because sometimes I'd forget. And have you ever had something on your meal that you don't like? What do you do with it? You pick it out, right? That fork and you're just trying, you want to leave all the good stuff and you're trying to like scrape it off, put it back on. You ever been in that, in that mode? And they're never like these chunks, right? You're never like just ugh, like, it's always like these little bitty onions. I hate that. Um, some of you want to do that with God's will in your life. You want the good stuff, but you want to pick out what you don't like. I want to remove the suffering. I want to remove this. I don't want to do that. So I'm just going to take it out and then it'll be the best. Can I tell you, that's not possible with following Jesus. You do not get to pick out the stuff you don't like and put it to the side. You have to, you have to accept it as it is. Why? Because when you accept it, when you surrender that right, when you accept it as it is, you then get the fulfillment of knowing how God is going to come through and you're not picking and choosing what it is you like about it. When you follow Christ, you follow Christ fully. Not in the ways I like or the ways I don't like. You follow Christ fully. It means that sometimes you're going to be put in situations you don't love. Sometimes it might even involve suffering. But can you push through knowing that God loves you enough that even if he calls you to it, he will also sometimes call you out of it? Or maybe in just the fact that if he's called you to it, it must be for a bigger and greater purpose than you could ever know. That's why emotions cannot dictate God's will because emotions for us get in the way. Now, we've already talked about how Paul, his name has been tarnished in Jerusalem. We know that. We know that Paul's name is being thrown about, that people are, are slandering him. People are speaking things to him. Most people don't like that he's reaching out to the Gentiles. And so when he walks into that city, most people, even though he's bringing them the gospel of Jesus Christ, they won't even listen to him. But he knows that can't be it. He knows that if he's going to preach, he needs them to listen. So they come up with a plan, him and his team, they come up with a plan to, to earn the right to be heard from the Jewish people. And that's what we're going to look at today. So go ahead, scooch on down to verse 21. And it says this, this is his team telling Paul what's been told about him. And it says, and they have been told about you, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to customs. What then is to be done? Like, hey, what are we going to do? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, do this, we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so they may shave their heads and all will know there's nothing to do with the things which have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. And so they say, listen, we have a plan, Paul. This is what you need to do to earn the right to be heard here, Paul. This is what you're going to do. You're going to take what's called a Nazarite vow. Now, it's just called a vow in my, in, my, uh, in my Bible, but most scholars would say this is the Nazarite vow. Now, the Nazarite vow is this. It would be for 30 days you abstain from wine and meat. You would let your hair grow out, and it was this immense offering, vow, declaration of gladness to the Lord that would happen for a long period of time. It was a vow that, that was, it was kind of this this extreme thankfulness to God usually for a big blessing right so God usually bless someone majorly and so they're gonna they're gonna in response give a major response of through this vow of blessing and honor and just saying and praise to the Lord through this vow so for 30 days they would abstain from wine and from meat they would let their hair grow out and they would offer multiple sacrifices throughout the 30 days and then for the last seven days they would be in the temple 
all the time, almost all day, just worshiping God. And then at the very end of the 30 days, their hair had grown out. And so then they would shave their head and they would burn their hair as an offering to the father. Like that was kind of how this whole vow worked. Now this not only cost you a ton of time, but it also cost you financially because of all of the sacrifices that you had to buy in order to burn them. And also all of the time you would take off of work because you were spending all of your time in the temple. And so oftentimes people would sponsor someone to do a vow. So if you were wealthy, you would sponsor someone to do their vow, almost like you might sponsor someone on a mission trip. It was kind of looked at as this very generous thing you would do to the other. And so they tell Paul, they said, you need to take this vow and then you also need to pay for the other four guys to take the vow. And if you do this, Paul, then they're going to hear you that all that slander that's been, that's been thrown against you, it's going to go away because they're going to see that your actions speak louder than words. Now, you might be sitting here thinking that, well, I know other verses of the Bible where Paul says, hey, to those under the law, I'm under the law, but to those not under the law, I'm not under the law, that he's free from, from the law and fulfilling the law, right? Haven't you, you've heard those things before. And so you might be thinking to yourself, well, then why is Paul doing that? He doesn't even have to do it. Well, Paul right now is surrendering his free will of knowing I don't need to do this in order to get God's approval but I need to do this so that these guys can hear the words of Jesus. He's willing to surrender his freedom so that others can hear the gospel. Now, somebody might be in here and think that that means he compromised his beliefs. That's not what happened. In fact, let me, let me just give you what actually happens. Paul surrenders out of strength his own freedom. He surrenders out of strength his own freedom. He doesn't compromise out of weakness. And this is what I mean by that. This is the difference between surrendering out of strength and compromising out of weakness. Surrendering out of strength is one of the most selfless acts you can do. It's giving up of your freedom in order to better someone else. In this case, Paul is giving up his freedom in order that people may hear the gospel. Moms, you do this all the time. Dads too, that like you give up your, your freedom as a person to be a parent, right? Don't you remember life before kids kind of, right? Long time ago, okay? Long time ago for, for some of you. For some of you, your kids are gone and so you're kind of back in that time and you're kind of like, dude, what do we do with our lives? Like, it's kind of crazy, right? And so, but you, but, but you gave up those going out. You gave up those times in order to have children and you stay up late. Like my wife stays up late almost every night, folding laundry, putting it away. This whole thing, she gives up of her time. Sometimes she'll even have to give up of her work in order to make sure that my girls, that there's a betterment that happens for them. We sacrifice, we surrender, not because we are weak, but because we are strong. We want to build people. We want to surrender our, in our own strength so that others can be better. We are selfless in that act compromise is selfish because compromise says I just don't want to fight with you it's like when your kid wants gummy bears for like the 17th time that day and they're crying and sometimes I'm gonna speak for myself sometimes I compromise and I say I know you're not supposed to don't tell your mom and here's your gummy bears like uh, it's fine I'm already in trouble it's all good like I don't care about getting more trouble now Sometimes I'll compromise. I know they're not supposed to, but I just don't want to have the fight. That's not selfless, that's selfish. I don't want to have the fight with you. And there are times where we, 
have compromised truth, parents, because we just didn't want to have a fight with our kids. They have brought to us biblical truths and said, and said, well, isn't that different? And they've argued and in your brain, you're like, well, I'll just compromise it a little bit because I just don't want to fight with them. I just don't want to have this between us. I just don't want to fight with them right now. I'm just tired. And so I'm just going to, I'll even compromise my own foundational beliefs because I just don't want to deal with them. And we compromise truth out of weakness. There's a difference there. There's a difference between whether you're surrendering out of strength to better someone else or if you're compromising out of weakness because you just don't want to deal with certain things and certain topics and certain things that maybe even you're struggling with. You just don't want to do the research and find out what God says about it, so you'll just compromise it just a little bit. It's really not that big of a deal. Guys, we cannot do that to our families. We cannot do that to ourselves. We cannot compromise biblical truths just so that we have somebody that says they might like us. In those times, we have to stand strong. Should we be surrendering sometimes our free will, our freedom to say whatever we want, post whatever we want, talk however we want, even though it's the truth, Charlie, isn't that fine? Can't I just say it, post it, say whatever? No, actually you can't. Paul shows us that sometimes we have to surrender those moments that we have to be silent. We don't compromise them, but we set them to the side and we listen so that hopefully they'll listen back. And when we speak, we speak truth, about a Jesus that loves them unconditionally and that wants the best for them. And sometimes that best even involves giving up things or suffering or all that stuff. We have to surrender out of strength, not compromise out of weakness. Now, Paul takes his vow and he's showing up and he's a part of it and he's going through it. And then these Jews from the province of Asia show up and the Jews from Asia are very unhappy with Paul because if you know from the earlier sermons in the series that that's where Paul did a lot of his ministry and a lot of people got saved and, and there was a lot going on and sometimes he would call them out calling them hypocrites and, and it, or that their views just didn't match up and so these guys were angry with Paul and so they began a rumor a rumor that to me and you would not be a big deal but to them was huge and it was this rumor that Paul had brought a Gentile into the inner courts and to me and you, that doesn't sound like a big deal. But to those people, that place was to them so sacred of a place just for the Jews that you would never bring a Gentile into their courts. In fact, above, if you, if you ever were to see a diagram of the temple, you would see that, that there would be a court for the Gentiles. It would be called the Gentile court. And it would surround this building in the middle. And it would be there. And that is where the Gentiles could be, was just around. And then in the middle would be the court of the women, uh, let's say on this side, and then the inner courts on this side and so you would enter in through here and above the the molding or the doorway of the of the court of women it would say this no man of alien race is to enter within the balustrade and fence that goes around the temple and if anyone is taken in the act let him know that he himself is to blame for the penalty of death that follows and they held to that they would kill someone who was a foreign race and it would not be charged as murder not even by the roman government because they believe so strongly in that law. And that is the rumor that these men from Asia have spread about Paul. And they have gotten everybody up into a ruckus and into a riot and they've gotten everybody else on their side. And so then this huge crowd finds Paul and they begin to beat him and kick him and spit on him. 
And it's so crazy. The confusion is so mass that, that the Roman guard sees the confusion and comes down with about a thousand men and they gather Paul up and they put him in, in, in his chains and they ask everybody, like, who is this? Who is it? Who's this guy? Why are, you guys, why are you guys beating him? What did he do? And no one is answering them back. All they're doing is spitting on him and lunging for the punches and everything like that. And so then they, they take Paul and they begin to walk him up the stairs. And as they walk up the stairs... I want you to see this interaction between Paul and this Roman guard. This is in, go ahead, go down to verse 37. It says, Paul was about to be thrown into the barracks and he said to the commander, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? This is the, the guard saying this. Well, do you know Greek? Then you are not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins and into the wilderness but Paul said, no, I'm a Jew of Tarsus in Sicilia, a citizen of no insignificant city. And I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hands. And when there was a great hush, he began to speak to them in the Hebrew dialect saying, and he begins to give the people the greatest gift that he has, his testimony. He begins to tell these people his story. And isn't like, I just want you to imagine it like a, like a scene in a movie, like Paul is beaten, he's falsely accused. In fact, Luke wants you to see something here that, that, that as Paul is following Christ, he doesn't just follow Christ in the preaching and the healings and stuff like that. But, but look at what, what just happened to Paul in these last couple of verses. He is falsely accused. He is beaten. And then he is taken away. And while he's taken away, the people are screaming to the Roman guard, away with him, away with him. That would have been the exact same words they said to Jesus as they yelled out, crucify him. Falsely accused, beaten, and sent to his death. Sometimes following Jesus, we just can't follow Jesus in the good, but sometimes following Jesus, Luke wants to remind us in this little story, it will sometimes involve also the suffering. But like I said, Paul is up there and he speaks to this man. The man, the guard thinks he's someone else, but he clearly isn't. So he says, can I speak to the people? And he begins to tell the people his testimony. And can you imagine all these people, these people that were just trying to kill him, these people that are spitting at him, these people that were trying to throw punches and he gets up and he's just a few steps higher and he looks at them and he holds up his hand and they fall silent. Why? Why would they fall silent? Weren't they just upset with Paul? He's being taken away and now he's facing them again. What, was it the way that he looked at them? Was it the way that he was beat? Was it the compassion in his eyes that he had for the people? That as soon as that man raised his hand, they all would fall quiet to hear what he had to say. And when Paul has the opportunity to speak to them, does he berate them with insults? Does he tell them, see, you made a mistake with Jesus and now you're making the same mistake with me? Does he tell them how wrong they are? Does he, does he spit truth at them, uh, uh, like just violently telling them all the things they need to change about their life? No, he gives them the greatest gift he can ever give them, his testimony. Why? Why would Paul in a moment not just run away? Why doesn't he just take the chains off, which would totally be, he's not even the, the, who they think he is. He could have said, I'm not that guy. Listen to my dialect. You can hear my accent. I'm obviously not the person you're looking for. He could have the chains taken off and just walk out of the city. Why does he turn around with the chains still on? Why? Because Paul loved God. And he wasn't going to let emotions dictate what God was trying to do right here. 
And because Paul loved God, Paul also loved them. And in a moment where he could say anything he wanted to as they were quiet, he chose to speak the truth to them in love. You see this, love requires us to speak truth. Love requires you to speak truth. Not to, not to, not to always say your opinion, not to, not to just say it because you say it even though you have no love toward them. No, love for them will require you to speak truth. Not just to make them feel good about themselves, not some sort of variation of the truth that will make them feel good. No, love requires you to speak truth. It'd be like if somebody went to the doctor because they had a headache because of an unknown tumor they had in their brain and they show up to the doctor and they say, doc, like I just have this headache. Like, like do you know what's wrong? And the doctor just looks at them and says, here, take, these, take this ibuprofen and go away and, 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 take the, and the pain will go away. It's just a headache. And imagine that person in that moment, they feel relief, right? They're like, wow, like that's awesome. I thought maybe it was something worse, but it's just a headache and they take their, their medicine and they walk away. They have no pain. They might, not, they might have no pain, but they're still sick. Or the person that goes to the doctor with a headache with a brain tumor and they say, hey doc, I have a headache. And the doctor takes time and he exam examines them and he tells them, hey, listen, there's a tumor right here. We have to operate immediately because we have to get this thing out. And at first the patient must feel like, oh my gosh, like well, that's crazy. I can't believe that's happening. But do you know what's gonna happen when they get out of surgery? They're gonna be in a deeper peace because they've been healed. Why? Because I got the truth and not just some remedy that made them feel better. Love requires us to speak truth. In love, at a time where they can listen, not, not muddied up by our emotions, but just in the simple act of saying, I love you so much. I have earned this right to speak this to you and I'm not gonna kind of make it sorta, I'm gonna tell you the truth right now. Don't compromise that truth, parent, because you're afraid of what's gonna happen if you do. Earn the right and love to speak it, but don't compromise it. Speak truth. That's what love requires us to do. And for some of you in here, you've been walking away from that truth for a long time. Your loved ones have spoken truth to you. A friend, a mom, a dad, or even a pastor who I can honestly sit up here and say, I love each and every one of you. Not because I know you all by name. I probably don't know 95% of the people in here. But because I love God so much that that love abounds over to the people that whoever gets in my way, I don't have enemies. I just have people I love. And I want you to accept this truth. Why? Because this truth can heal you completely. I don't want to give you something that's just going to make you feel good and you walk away and still sick. I want to give you something. I want to reveal to you a truth through Jesus Christ and what he's done on a cross that you were once a sinner, but because of his price that he's paid, that you were allowed to take off being a sinner and put on righteousness and come into the presence of God and to have his Holy Spirit invade your life and that you would have that power and that understanding. I want that for you. Why? Because that's what total healing looks like. 
And I don't want you to have a variation of it or kind of it or just show up to church on Sunday. It. I want you to have the full gospel. Sometimes your emotions will get in the way of it, but I'm telling you, it's the best decision in your life. And you've been walking away from that truth, but right now you want to accept it. I want to give you that opportunity. So can we all bow our heads, close our eyes? And if today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, you either for the first time want to accept Jesus as your personal Savior, to be completely healed of the sin in your life, or maybe you knew this truth and you walked away from it, and you've been trying to earn your way back, can I tell you, don't believe that lie from the devil. Be forgiven right where you are and come back to him. He wants you as you are right now. If you want to accept that truth in your life, can you just do me this one favor? Can you just lift up your head and open your eyes and look at me? If you want to accept that for the first time, I see you, I see you. Keep looking at me, don't, don't look away. I see you. See you in the back. See you, see you. See you, see you. Just keep looking. Don't look down. See you. See you. Okay, just look at me right now. I need you to know this. Heaven is so excited. Like, I'm so excited. I know what a crazy decision sometimes these seem like, but I know how awesome of a decision it is. I have, I'm a testimony of how great walking with God is and how even through the suffering, I've had joy. So I'm telling you right now, you have made the greatest decision in your life. It says heaven is rejoicing. I want you to know Jesus is like crying tears of joy because of the decision you made. And I'm so excited for the life that you're gonna have with him. So go ahead, bow your head, close your eyes again. I'm gonna repeat a prayer and everyone here is gonna repeat it after me. So if you raise your head, you're gonna say this prayer. We're all gonna say it together. Father, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, be the savior of my life. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Comfort me, convict me. There's something I need to change. Jesus, right now, I know you're doing work. Holy Spirit, I pray you're speaking to the people right now who have just accepted you into their life. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd give them comfort. Holy Spirit, I pray you tell them how beautiful they are, how wonderful they are, how purposeful they are. They are not a mistake. God, they didn't just happen uh, to come here uh, by happenstance that, Father, you ordained this. God, you love them so much. You know the number of hairs in their head. You love them intimately and deeply because you are their creator. And now they are in to the family of God. God, we are so thankful for that. Holy Spirit, continue to comfort them even as they walk out of this room, letting them know that they are loved and they are forgiven. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. For those who raise their head, well, we have two groups of people here. So, so if you're here for the first time or the 10,000th time, if you need prayer, we don't want you ever to walk through something alone. So you can go here, find a person in the prayer team, get prayer. They wanna pray for you. They're not weird, I promise. I know every single one of them, okay? They're awesome and they want to pray with you. And second, if you raise your head, I listen, I know 
that you probably have lunch plans really soon, I'm gonna ask you to be a few minutes late. If you raised your head to accept Jesus Christ as your savior, I want you to do maybe the hardest thing you'll do today is take the 32 steps to get from your seat over to somebody with a next steps badge. We do not want you walking your new life with Jesus by yourself. We don't want you to try to figure it out on your own. We want you to have someone that at least you can ask questions to, give you advice, give you uh, uh, material, whatever it is that you need so that you can walk out of here knowing what it is that you did and understanding and not even just be like, well, it was just a moment that you understand. It is not something dictated by emotions, but it's something that you can stand on as truth. Amen. Can you guys repeat after me? Lord, keep me outward focused and fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me and to a generous person like you. Happy Mother's Day. We love you guys. We'll see you next Sunday. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.